And now I'll be reading Matthew 6. And now I will be reading Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Um, and Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is God's word. Okay. So this whole text that was read for us is about prayer. But when my oldest son was uh, a year and a half old, we took him to the fanciest place in town, uh, you know it as Walmart. And when you take a year and a half year old to Walmart, there's only one plan that you can roll out for him. And that's to say, hey buddy, when these errands are done, we will go see some toys. So as soon as we finished getting what we were getting, um, I took him over to the toy section. And typically, uh, my son did not handle it well in the sense that um, after being in the toy section for a couple minutes, you begin to smell his excitement. So sure enough, that happened, which was not normally a big problem, except for the fact that I had neglected to do what my wife had asked me to do hours before, and that's change his diaper. And so at this point, he's not just uh, excited in a, uh, a dry, fresh diaper. It one, it's one that looks like it has been dipped into a pool and reattached to a year-and-a-half-year-old child. So as we leave, he begins to run out the front of the store. And as we got to the counter, that was the moment that the diaper had decided that it had enough and just fell off. And everything in the diaper fell out. And sure enough, it happened right in front of two employees who looked straight down on the floor with me. And then they looked up at me as if to say, are you going to do something about that? And then I looked down on the floor and looked what was on the floor and looked back at them and was like, no, I am not. And they looked at me like, what gives? And I was like, have a good night and grabbed my child and was out of there. And that's how we typically approach prayer. Don't we? We, we, we sort of go, uh, hey, good to see you. Yes, can you help me with this? Oof, I've got this dirty mess in my life. Can you clean that up? Great, thanks. See you later. And that's why it's not really a rich part of our life. Um, but the interesting thing about prayer in our culture is that sort of no matter where you are and what you believe on the spiritual spectrum, we're sort of drawn to. Uh, there was an article several years ago in the Washington Post entitled Skeptics Who Still Find Solace in Prayer. The article said this, uh, Atheists who deny religious claims of a supernatural God are starting to look more and more closely at the very real effect that the practices such as church, prayer, and observance of a Sabbath have on the lives of those who are practicing them. Siegfried Gold, uh, a man who began to practice this in his own particular life, doesn't believe there is some supernatural being out there attending to his prayers. He, in fact, calls his creation God and would describe himself as having had a conversion that can be characterized only as a miracle. 
His life, though, has been mysteriously transformed, he says, by the power of pausing, asking, and meditating. It's, I mean, it's almost intuitive to us, right, in our culture, that when somebody goes through something hard, uh, we just say, we'll pray for you, or you will be in our thoughts and prayers. We, we hear that even on the news at night. Yet we don't do it, do we? We so rarely pray. Why? I think probably because we don't know how to. And this is what Jesus assumes. This is why he says, I will teach you how to pray. Now, I want to teach you tonight how to pray. And uh, most of us, though, hear that and go, I cannot add one more thing to my life. I'm so busy. Paul Miller, though, in his book, A Praying Life, he says this, a prayer will not lead you. Prayer doesn't give you a less busy life. It gives you a less busy heart, which is the symptom of your busy life. Man, how many times have you said to somebody this week, I'm so busy? You know what that means? It means you need to cultivate a rich prayer life. We have to learn these things from Jesus. And he's going to give us a full template for prayer in this in five points. I have five points tonight that Jesus teaches us how to pray. He tells us to go approaching, uh, adoring, aching, accepting, and then fifthly, asking. Okay, so first approaching. That is, there's a unique way to approach God in prayer. He wants us to call on him uh, as his father. That is, God, God, you are, we are your children. We have this rock solid identity that you are our father. And this identity as a child is not one that we earned. It's not one that we um, accomplished enough. It's not the one that we had to be faithfully uh, keeping up to sit in. It is secure by grace, is our identity as your child. And you know what this does is, if you go to God as your father, it immediately protects you uh, from the idea that you're not doing well spiritually, so you can't pray. See, all the things that are keeping you uh, away from prayer, like you're struggling um, spiritually, or you have a lot of doubts, or... um, Morally, you're sort of all over the place, or you haven't done anything lately. Um, Calling God as your father in prayer protects you from all the lies out there that would say, not a good time. Because if he's your father, there's no time that a father doesn't want his child. And uh, we learn this, that one of the main reasons we probably don't go to God in prayer very much is that we don't believe he loves us like a father. But Jesus says, he is your father. You don't need rehearsed speech. You can go to him wobbling, maybe even struggling to find words, and he will love your presence. That's how we approach it. Secondly, though, when we go, we go adoring him. That is the main purpose of prayer, uh, described here by Jesus, really is fellowship with him. And for any great relationship, when you have a great relationship in life, Um, those are not characterized by you going to that person for things. You go to them because you want to be with them. And what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to go be with God for the great, wonderful things that are presently true about God. So he says, our Father who art in heaven. That is, uh, 
one thing that's amazing about God is how transcendent and infinite and beautiful and different he is from every part of this world. And he says, go, hallowed be your name. That is, God is holy. He is distinct. Uh, there is nothing that characterizes the pain, the sorrow, the darkness, uh, the deceit, the manipulation of this world. None of that is true of God. All, and, and, and he says, hallowed be your name. That is, there is an intimate uh, part of God that he lets us know where he is uh, beautiful in and of himself that he has made available and alive to us. And all of these parts of God's character are things that we should uh, go and just enjoy and praise and adore. And this is different from Thanksgiving. See, sometimes when Christians uh, want to spend time in worship, what they want to do immediately is say, thank you for this, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, providing us. Thank you for saving us. And those are uh, wonderful things, but that's not adoration. That's not what Jesus is calling us to here. That's like um, you coming up to me and just saying, hey, Alex, thanks for all of the uh, friendship we have, or thanks for giving me a ride here, or thanks for lending me this or thanks for listening to me this way. Look, those are nice compliments, but what really, you know, boosts my self-esteem is when you come and you tell me, you know, how great I am at this. Or Alex, there is no one who's a friend like you. Or there is no one who I've ever met who uh, listens or cares or talks to, like whatever it is. Um, those are the things that really begin uh, to build us up. And Jesus says, listen, do that with God. And man, what an invitation this is, because anybody worth spending time with who's wonderful, isn't it a waste to go spend time with them and just asking them for favors? Like, imagine you got a dinner with your favorite artist or your favorite actor or your favorite athlete or your favorite scholar, and all you wanted to do was ask them for a favor. Like, can you get me a foot in the door? And that would be nice, but what a waste. Don't you want to just celebrate how wonderful they are? and enjoy uh, what makes them distinct and beautiful. And that's probably the main thing that we should be doing in prayer. And it's because it's so practical. Uh, see, when life um, becomes difficult, whatever you adore most is what will come out. I mean, have you ever wondered why sometimes in hard moments your faith seems to fade away? Here's why. Because you haven't trained your soul into the beauty of God to the point that when your soul is rattled, God's beauty comes out. Uh, Navy SEALs, uh, you know, uh, thank goodness for them for all the ways that they have uh, protected us. Well, it takes 30 weeks of intense training for them to be able to do something like that. Because what they do is they have to be put through every possible imaginable situation in long, concentrated tests so that when the real situations arise, uh, they're ready and able to handle that. And what Jesus is trying to get you to do is, is, is to dive so deeply into God's character, so, so deep into his holiness, into his hallowedness, into his beauty, into his presence in heaven, so that when life rattles you, your soul has been trained by every part of God's character to handle it. And that's why we should go adore him. So we approach him as father. We adore his character. Thirdly, though, 
he teaches us to pray by aching. It says, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what does he mean here by heaven? Heaven here uh, it, it is the perfect, glorious existence that we all long to live in that already exists in God's presence and one day will come here. John describes it in Revelation 21 this way, uh, that when heaven comes, there will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more tears, no more death. And what we are to do is that we are to pray now for this world to more and more reflect that world that's coming and that already exists in heaven. And when we begin to pray that way, you know what it will do is it will train us to see this world the way God already begins to see it. That is, we pray with an ache when we look at the pain and long for the shalom that God promises he will bring. So we're to look at every square inch of his creation and pray that it would all begin to slowly come under the kingship of God. That's why we pray against justice. We pray against injustice. We pray against war. We pray against impurity. We pray against racism. We pray against every kind of crime. We pray against sickness. We pray against death. Because when God looks at those things, he aches and he hates it. So that he longs for his kingdom to come here and awaits the day just as much as, as we await it. And what he wants us to do is bridge that gap more and more by prayer. Now, some of you listen to that and go, well, Alex, I already look at things in this world and long for them to change every day. Yes, but do you ever wonder why you see those things out in the world? You wish they would change, but you rarely do anything about it. It's because our natural tendency of the human heart is to look out at the pain of this world and to stare at it without hope. And when we stare at the world without hope, what we're actually doing is training our heart to become cynical. And see, what prayer wants to do is fight up against that stream of cynicism and train our hearts to see the world the way God sees the world. But we have to fight against that because we've been training it with cynicism. Paul Miller, he says it this way, to be cynical is to be distant while offering a false intimacy of being in the know. Cynicism actually destroys intimacy. It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden, even destroy the spirit. But a praying life is just the opposite. It engages evil. It doesn't take no for an answer. This is why the psalmist was in God's face, hoping, dreaming, asking, because prayer is feisty. Cynicism, on the other hand, it merely just critiques. It is passive cocooning itself from the passions of the great cosmic battle we are engaged in. And nothing trains us to do that more than social media, right? To be able to critique and protect us uh, from ever needing to engage in any of the solutions. And what prayer will do is begin to heal that problem in our own life and fight against that. Oh, and you know what that does is that will reignite the Christian life for you in a way that you may have never experienced, and it will protect you from boredom in the Christian life. See, if the Christian life for you is just that your eternal destiny uh, has been taken care of because Jesus forgave your sins, then you've got almost no need for this on a weekly basis, much less a daily basis. But if you begin to pray, thy kingdom come, 
And God begins to train you to see this world the way that he wants to rule and reign and heal this world. Then you will get a whole new vision and realize that the gospel is here not just to renew me, it's to renew everything. And it's going to renovate this whole world. And you begin to find a whole new purpose in your own life. And what what, what prayer will do is it will train your soul to be able to sing in all times, light and in dark, that though the wrong is also strong, God is the ruler yet. So he wants us to pray, approaching him as father, adoring his character, aching for his kingdom. But fourthly, he wants us to pray, accepting. And here's the language he gives us. Thy will be done. And this is really hard. Because what Jesus wants us to pray here is he wants us to pray, God, I will obey you and follow you, even though I don't like what's going on in my life right now. And it's hard. And I'll accept everything in my life, even though it doesn't make sense. And you notice something in the text. Jesus wants us to pray this before we begin to ask for things. And it's almost like, God wants us to be okay with what we already have in our life before we ever learn about what we need to ask for. And what this will begin to do is it will begin to minister to our doubts in prayer because so often we pray for things and sometimes they don't get answered the way that we want them or need them to to be answered. And then we begin to question whether or not God exists, much less does he love us or care for us. And the problem is that we're praying, thinking we know what's best for our life. And if you think you know what's best for your life, you know what that will do is it will make you restless in life. And the only way for your soul begin to begin to rest is if you begin to pray prayers, thy will be done. See, but most of us, we, don't, we have no idea what to do with life when we're out of control. It's because we, we crave it, don't we? We have to have control in order to be doing life. But living for control in situations where you're out of control is the flame that will make you burn out quicker than anything else in life. See, we, we need to be rid of the burden that we know what is best in life. And what this prayer, Thy Will Be Done, will do is it will begin to remove that burden off of your shoulders and to mend and heal your perspective. Because the truth is, whatever is going on in your life right now, you have to learn to accept it. And, and nothing will help you do that more than learn to accept what God has already given you. Right now is what is best for your life. See, if we knew what he knew, it's possible we would have asked for what we already have. Stephen Colbert last year had an amazing interview with Anderson Cooper where he got vulnerable and talked about some of the hardest things he'd ever experienced in life. And he spoke of when he was a child, 11 years old, that his dad and his two brothers were killed in a plane crash. And something like that would justifiably send any of us into bitterness, despair, and hopelessness Uh, where you became a shell of a person. But uh, Anderson Cooper noticed that Stephen Colbert has become this vibrant, beautiful person in his faith. 
and even talked about using uh, and accepting that hard thing as something that fueled his life. He said this, I've learned to love the thing I'd wished had never happened. Stephen, or excuse me, Anderson Cooper goes, what? He says, well, you learn to gain from the loss. He says, well, here's what I got from the loss. I learned awareness of other people's losses, which allowed me to connect with another person who had lost. He says, I learned to love so deeply and understand what it's like to be a human being if it's true that all human beings suffer. See, whatever's happening in your life right now, you have no idea what could come of it. How how incredible uh, healing and redemption could be, not just for you, but for other people, if you will learn to accept it. So you can do anything with it if you learn to accept it. And you have to learn to do it. You learn that by praying, thy will be done. So God wants us to pray, uh, approaching him as our father, adoring his character, uh, aching for his kingdom, accepting everything that he has laid out for us. But lastly, he lets us ask. I mean, after all of this, we do kind of get to the point, right? Where you're like, is it okay? Like if, if I say something, God, <laughs> like I've got something going on in my life. And he says affirmatively, yes. In fact, Almost all of this prayer, two-thirds of it, are based on requests that he wants to shape for us. And we can sort of look at these in sort of two ways. He wants to give us requests that are vertical and requests that are, horiz- or <laughs> requests that are horizontal in our life. Um, first, the vertical ones. Uh, he gives us basic things that are uh, central for our life. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Notice he says daily, as in, uh, you need not worry for five years from now. That you need to learn to pray in a way that lets you take life moment by moment and treat day by day and say, you know what? There is enough on my plate for this Wednesday night. All that's coming tomorrow or Friday, I'll get to it. And what a peaceful way it is to live like that. And what will help you live like that is if you begin to pray, give me just my daily dose, Lord. But Jesus says, pray for daily bread. You know what? Bread is not a want, it's a need. That there are absolutely things in your life that you have to have in order to live. And Jesus says, you can come to me with those things. Please come and ask. But then he says, pray this prayer, forgive us our debts. As we, uh, Jesus says, remember to come clearing your conscience. I don't know about you, but whatever I've got something that I've, I've, I've struggled with guilt about or shame about, it's almost like uh, the rest of life is just boxed up and I can't get to it until I've dealt with this. And Jesus says, on a daily basis, come to me. And Ask for forgiveness and you will receive it. And then he says, and lead us not to temptation. That is, Lord, uh, give us strength and direction and wisdom for all the challenges that are going to come in our life. And, And you know what Jesus is saying in those things? Is he's saying, hey, here's what you really need tonight. Here's what you really 
need for your life tonight. You need contentment, humility, and clarity. That's what will make you a whole person. That's what will give you the good life. That's what will give you um, the calm, rich life that we all want to live. Is if you can begin to pray, uh, excuse me, live with contentment and with humility and with clarity in your life. And this prayer will begin to do it. And you know what? If, you don't, if you're not praying this prayer, what you're sort of doing is quietly saying, all I need in life is money and talent. And Jesus is trying to free you from that. So he gives us these vertical requests, but he also gives us these horizontal requests. He says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so the question is, if we, um, whoa, Lord, like, are you saying if we don't forgive, we're not forgiven? No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is um, our propensity to forgive others is reflective of how deeply we have let in God's forgiveness of ourselves. And what he's doing is he's moving us to healing uh, in prayer uh, with people we claim should be important in our life. See, it's really hard uh, to claim all these things about God and to have deep hostility in your life horizontally. And so you say, well, I can't do that, Alex. I don't know how to do that. Um, well, it's because your heart is hard. And the only way to pray, <laughs> the only way to do those things is to pray for a soft heart by praying to do the thing where your heart is not ready to do that it maybe one day can catch up to do what you're praying for. Let me, let me illustrate that to sort of make it clear. Um, I mean, anybody who has been out of shape and tried to go to the gym has experienced this reality that you, I know I need to be doing these things, but I have almost no desire to do this. And what happens is if you go, I think it says for 28 days is the typical pattern. After about 28 days, you'll discover that you actually want to do the thing that you didn't want to do that you knew you needed to do. And what happened is you went out in front of your desires and practiced what you needed to desire. And what prayer will do is it will train your heart to begin to feel what you already need to be doing. And that's the Lord's Prayer. And if you will begin to take this in your life, it, it is so transforming. And you, But the crisis for this it really is our cynicism that we so claim we're tired, we're busy, we're overwhelmed, we're afraid, and so we're stuck, and then we end up being bored. But what this prayer will do, if you will take it in your life, is it will draw you out of the meaningless parts of your life that feel at times so directionless, and it will put you in a meaningful story where God is king and is healing this world. But in order to do that, you need for somebody to, to do more than just teach you this. You see, we need somebody who will pray this for us, and, and we have one in Jesus. See, the key to this prayer, to making it your prayer, 
is that you know and you see and you hear that Jesus didn't just teach us this, but he prayed this for us in the most dire circumstances of his own life. The night before he was to be betrayed, he's sitting there staring at the cross, the hard, miserable thing that God had put in front of him, knowing that it was the only way for God to heal the world that he longed to be healed, that he longed to heal. And he goes and he says, Father, He goes approaching him as father, and he goes praising him. And he goes crying out, aching with him. And he knows what is in front of him, but he says, the cross, thy will be done. And the next thing when he's on the cross, you know what he does? Is he finishes that prayer. When he looks at the people, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But you know, there's one part of this prayer that Jesus doesn't pray. And it's this, when he says, forgive us our debts. But Jesus doesn't ask for forgiveness. You know why? Because on the cross, he's paying for your debts and my debts. So that all of our debts can be truly forgiven. So that we can go with this prayer at all times, never in shame, never in fear, going to our Father in freedom to be able to pray this prayer in the name of the gospel, joining God in the way that he is healing this world. Look, imagine this. It's a lost art, but imagine that you grabbed a journal. And what you did is you began to have some cathartic moments where you wrote out just everything you're passionate about, all your desires. And it, and it was written to somebody that you really hoped Uh, would love you and and care. And you shared everything you dreamed about, everything you longed for. And then you started to share everything you hated to see, everything you didn't like about yourself, everything you hated about your world around you, everything you disliked about school, everything you disliked about your classes. You shared all your insecurities, all of the things that you're tempted even to gossip about. And then you begin to share and write out your struggles and all of the the things that you have a mess with in your life. And then you begin to write out all the things that you feel like you need, that you're afraid to say say to other people because it makes you weak, that it makes you dependable, and you don't want to sound needy, and you don't want to sound um, like you ask too much, or you're petty. And you have all those things, and you put it there, and you accidentally leave it, and then somebody finds it and reads it. How would you feel? Wouldn't you feel afraid? You know why you would feel afraid? Because you're writing that journal without the gospel. See, see, what if the person who read it made them love you more? And that you knowing that they had read it made you love them more? Because that is prayer in the gospel. How can you not need that? Don't you want that in your life? Take it. Jesus gives it to us and teaches us this. Let me pray. Lord, there is only one way to pray. And it's to pray our Father who art in heaven. Lord, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Lord, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It is in your glorious name we do pray. And you would ask, we'd ask you would teach us and help us to learn to do that. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.